Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I believe that highly effective leadership is foundational to successful businesses and communities. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and help those leaders co-create the future they desire in their communities. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that on today's show, we have Ricky Robinson, who's a vice president of human resources for a $35 billion leader in the medical device industry, and Keith Powell, a chief operating officer in private education. So Ricky, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, first off, let me tell you, thank you for having us on the show. We've been excited for this. We've been, it's like the first day of school. We've been laying our clothes out, getting ready for the first day of school when we're talking to Maureen today. So we appreciate you having us on. But for me, like I've uh, been in corporate America for 25 you know, plus years and dog years, it seems like much longer than that. I've had like a a unique, you know, journey. I've worked for some very best in class organizations. And I'll tell you that it probably wasn't until I met Keith 10 plus years ago where that was the first time that I saw someone that looked like me in the boardroom, you know, and since then we've just been super close. My um, passion, you know, is uh, in HR, but also advocating, you know, for the underrepresented employee. So Ricky, because you say looks like you, some people are going to be listening on a podcast. What do you look like? Yeah. So this was the first time that I had seen another black male in the boardroom with me. I, I would say, let alone anybody black, but especially someone with as much melanin as in, in his skin as I have in mine. So that was the first time. Thank you. And Keith, why don't you tell our listeners about you? Sure. Yeah. And again, uh, thanks for having us on on your podcast. I had a you know almost a twenty five year career in corporate America in finance and operations, working for Fortune five hundred, Fortune one thousand companies, and then I decided to pivot in my career and I actually went into private equity for about four years or so. And then I kind of decided that my time in the rat race was concluding and I decided to combine my professional experience with my passion for education and actually moved into the independent school world and became chief operating officer for independent school in the Bay Area of San Francisco. Thank you for the work that you're doing in education, especially bringing a highly successful corporate career into education because preparing our young folks is foundational for our journey going forward. So the leadership journey, what we're going to be talking about today, the leadership journey can be a challenging one with unseen stumbles that ruin reputations. Skilled people can be left wondering what went wrong if they don't have effective sponsorship. These challenges are even more pronounced for underrepresented people in leadership roles. Ricky and Keith today are going to talk about the importance of having a sponsor and being sponsor ready. So this is a two-part equation. Both of you, what is leadership sponsorship and how is that different from mentoring? People use the terms mentor and sponsor interchangeably, you know, when in fact they both have very different meanings and come with a different set of responsibilities if you really want to call yourself one or the other. Yeah, no doubt. And Ricky and I talk about mentorship and sponsorship a lot. And to that point on being a mentor, a mentor is really a person who provides advice on how to navigate various situations that'll come up in your life or your career. You know, they tend to kind of be those wise sages or advisors for you kind of subject matter experts in a, in a different, in a particular uh, field or something like that. And they're really kind of helpful for entry level to mid-manager kind of employees. But once you kind of hit that mid-level range, that's where sponsorship really starts to take over and kick in. Yeah. And to that point, as we start thinking about like a sponsor, like the difference for me, you know, a sponsor is like a senior level executive, you know, with the power to move your career to speak and advocate on your behalf when you're not in the room and someone that's willing to use like their political capital or power and put their reputation at risk on the line for you. We always use an example of a sponsor will put you in the boat and take you and navigate around and take you to your destination versus pointing and telling you, yeah, go over there. Maybe you should do this. The sponsor is actually invested in you differently. And both of you have played those roles for others on a pretty regular basis, right? Yes, that's correct. 
Absolutely. It's hard not to do it, you know, if you're really calling yourself an invested leader. And especially if you're a leader in an underrepresented idiom, I mean, I think it's really harder to to not, you know, pull other people up or to send the elevator down and bring it back up. Absolutely. Because there's so few of us there, right? We have that obligation to want to help, right? Well, and if everyone did help, the world would look a little different. Mm-hmm. It sure would. <laughs> So I say that to call both of you out and say thank you for modeling the behaviors that we're talking about, because I assume your organizations have less of the challenges that both of you faced as you were pioneering these roads. Yeah, I think that is a true assessment. I mean, it's it's so much different, you know, working in an organization when you're the only versus being somewhere where you have other people who think like you do, you have other leaders who are really want to be allies, but other uh, leaders who look like you and you can be your authentic self. So I think it makes it a little easier to that point. I know Keith always speaks, you know, about him being able to be his authentic self in his career and how that kind of helped propel him as well. I think in, in big corporations in particular, big corporations in particular, you kind of have those processes and structure in place to really make it happen. Um, it's a lot more difficult in smaller corporations um, where you just don't have the resources really to get dedicate yourself to this and making sure that all your leaders are on point, have some training, really have a sensitivity to why sponsorship is important. That takes us then to the question, why does it matter? We've talked about why it mattered for you. Can you tell our listeners, again, those who haven't either had a sponsor haven't sponsored or for whom this is a new conversation, why does it matter for them in their careers? And if you're an executive who hasn't been doing it, why does it matter for you to do it? There's a ton of research out there that shows that people who are sponsored have faster career paths to the top. You know, they get paid more, which is called kind of a sponsorship premium. So there's lots of research out there that says if you get sponsored, you get paid more, you advance faster, you have more opportunities that are out there for you. And particularly for underrepresented leaders, I mean, the big issue for us is all about access at the end of the day, right? You know, one stat that we like to quote quite a bit comes from the Center for Talent Innovation, where it shows that. of C-suite leaders have a protege, and that protege is the same race and gender as them, right? So the people that are getting picked are people who look like us at the end of the day. And if you look at the C-suite right now, the C-suite is 80% white and 72% male. So when you talk about how does the system change, that has to change before anything else, you know, the needle will move at the end of the day and why this whole sponsorship question is so important. And the ironic thing is also in that research for the CTI, it showed that like 5% of people of color have sponsors versus 21% of white professionals, despite research showing that people of color are more career ambitious than their white colleagues. So again, we have a bit of a, a systemic, you know, issue, you know, there, but again, as we point out in our podcast all the time, when we, we call this section, like the receipts, right? You may feel a certain way, but you can't deny like the receipts, the data, <laughs> you know, the data is what it is here. So when we t- talk about the importance of, you know, having a sponsorship, I think if we're doing this correctly, those numbers change significantly. And when you were saying, Maureen, the world would look a lot different, we know for sure it would. That raises the question for me, if 72% of CEOs are white men, Can white men and should white men sponsor women, people of color, underrepresented folks in all categories? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we that we promote all the time in terms of a secret to being better in this category is we ask leaders, you know, and we we know what the what the percentage is like, but we ask leaders to make sure that you are sponsoring people who don't look like you, Mm -hmm. you know, people who aren't necessarily doesn't have the same gender, you know, as you, I know this is uncomfortable because we have so many biases that we have, but I think this is the only way that you can achieve. If you have aspirations to be at a certain number of ethnically diverse leaders or a certain number of female leaders, you got to spend time, you know, with them. And you have to recognize that the people that you're spending time with who don't look like you oftentimes are 
overqualified, you know, overeducated, and have probably you know, been passed over quite a bit. But I think it takes those leaders to be able to walk the talk so that they can hold the leaders that report into them accountable. I was with a large consulting firm years ago, and they had a very structured women's mentoring program, mentoring for women, different than sponsorship, but Mm -hmm. a structured program because they found that women were exiting the workforce as we hit a certain senior level. And I chose a man as my mentor specifically around the topic of sponsorship. He was one of the people in the room who had the most power. That was the person I wanted to learn from. In my case, I wasn't looking for someone who looked like me. I was looking for someone who looked different than me and had access that I did not have. You look at the data and the data says that people who have white men as their sponsors are the ones that do the best at the end of the day. <laughs> so it's it's kind of one of those things where the white men have to step up and get out of their comfort zone. And then, you know, underrepresented employees and and women also have to get out of their comfort zone a little bit and understand that, at least for now, until things really change, you're going to need that white male sponsorship along your career path if you really want to move the needle. So I appreciate that we're talking specifically across lines because this isn't a women for women issue or a black for black issue or an LGBTQ plus issue. Mm -hmm. It is a leadership issue Yes, that effective leaders sponsor good candidates. Mm-hmm. Will you say a little bit more about sponsorship? If anyone is listening and they don't understand, you've talked about political capital. What would it look like if I were to try to find a sponsor? And if I want to be a sponsor, what do I do? You touched on something that was extremely important in terms of like the intentionality that you you know, went after in terms of trying to find a sponsor. And I think that, you know, when I look in my career, I look at maybe the first 10 years of my career, I I don't think I really even had a sponsor. I mean, I think there's some other things of why I didn't have a sponsor. I probably wasn't, you know, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, I probably wasn't sponsor ready. I didn't have a sponsor. I mean, I think I had mentors who were comfortable telling me to do certain things or to maybe show up better, but I didn't have anyone that was actually putting their credibility on the line for me, so to speak. I didn't have anyone that was really helping me work on like my marketing collateral and helping and and giving me some of the resources that they used to be able to get to the top. And I think that the biggest thing that I see in terms of what you look for in a sponsor is someone that's going to probably complete the circle for you, right? Someone who's going to be honest with you and get you ready so that when you do speak to you know, someone who's in their book of contacts. So when they do bring you to that to that event, that you're going to represent them well, but you're also going to represent yourself, you know, well. So I think those are some important pieces. I know Keith, you know, speaks to some things differently as he had a different sponsorship experience. There's really two people connecting in a way that there's a level of trust and credibility between the two of them, and that person who is the sponsor is really just open doors for you and advocate for you when you're not in the room, all of those types of things. And and as Ricky said, I mean, for me, I didn't even know what it was called then, but I really started my career with sponsorship because my my first boss, quote unquote, took a risk in even just hiring me because the role that I was hired into was usually reserved for people who had been with the companies five, seven years or high potentials, things like that. And he kind of wanted to shake it up a little bit. And so he put his credibility on the line right out of the gates with me to do that. But what it did, he took an interest in me and showed me a path. We literally built a 10-year plan of experiences that I would need in order to become a financial executive, right? We built that plan. He told me the experiences, why they were important. And then we just started to follow that plan. Just being naive, I didn't even know other people didn't receive this coming into the door, right? Mm -hmm. But once I got into the workplace, I realized this was special. (laughs) You know, this is something that was special that was happening. But at the same time, I was like, wouldn't this be great if everybody received this level of of support coming in the gates or at any point in their career because it's, it's game changing. But, you know, we, we speak to like when you have this and you're going through life and you're going through your career and you know you have like that buffer, someone who's going to advocate for you to be on succession plans, someone who's going to come to you with opportunities that they know you can do and can perform well versus 
when you don't necessarily have that sponsorship, sometimes you're kind of throwing darts in the dark and you're hoping that something, you know, sticks, you know, you're hoping that you're doing it the right way. And just think about how many times where you were trying to do it the right way and you, and you weren't, if you mess up this opportunity, it could really shape in an adverse way, like your career, it could actually impact you psychologically, like all of those things you know, when we look at those numbers, if we really double clicked on that, there's some other factors or other avenues to, to go there. But the difference between having a sponsor and not having a sponsor can be life changing. It could be generational wealth changing, you know, simple as that. You know, it's interesting as I listen to the description for some of the people I coach, I also get to fill that role because mm -hmm. I have a very different relationship in some cases with their executive leadership and I can put them forward. I can help them find board roles that'll get them ready, put them in front of other folks that will help them get ready and really supercharge the opportunities. And I also get the feedback that sometimes people are uncomfortable giving them when they've made the mistake, you stub your toe and there's no feedback and you're walking around, you know, bleeding all over people. That's a problem. <laughs> uh, if somebody says like, yeah, that looks like you need to do something about it, then, <laughs> then it's just a bad day. Yeah. But the untreated, in some cases, small mistakes to your point, continue to amplify and the negative impact on self-confidence and then that causes people to question themselves and the questioning then causes the behavior of lack of confidence. And ultimately, in some cases, they are encouraged to exit over something that didn't need to be an exitable experience. That's true. No, absolutely. And, and look, and I, I go back to having the privilege of having two sponsors that really like shaped and changed my career. Like, as I was saying, I don't think I was probably sponsor ready, maybe the first 10 years of my career. But good old Lisa Tomlinson and Vince Woodard, they really told me how it was. I mean, I think I remember a story when I, you know, my boss at the time, it was Lisa, but she says, hey, how come you're not getting um, director or senior director level jobs? And the worst mistake I ever made in my career was tell her, well, you know what, Maureen, I'm not getting these jobs because I'm black. And now, mind you, she was black too. And she says, Ricky, I don't think that's it. I, you're not getting these jobs because your marketing collateral sucks, actually. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that is not an executive resume. She asked me something about, what's your value proposition? And man, I must have stuttered my way through an answer. And she was like, that's why you're not getting the job. And then, but what she did was, then she gave me an executive coach. She gave me some people that helped me do that. And those conversations like that, change the trajectory of my career. So I just say like, what if I would have had that when I first, you know, came out of school when I thought I had all the answers, you know, versus, you know, 10 years later. So I look at a, a bit of a transition there where Keith had that earlier in his career and it set him up a little bit differently. Now we both ended up, you know, in great places, but again, you look at time spent or if you're not, you know, if you don't have the right mindset that again, like you said, that stub toe, can end up being like detrimental to your career. Ricky made a good point there just around the sponsors. And you're talking about it too, Maureen, with the risk factor, right? You're almost threading the needle in some cases because it's really easy for a sponsor to give up on you. They don't lose at the end of the day. I mean, they can you make a mistake and they can just say goodbye and keep it moving at the end of the day. But the sponsors that are really effective are the ones that are truly invested in you and understand that we all make mistakes. We all need to learn and create a little bit of a safety net for you to at least make a mistake or two that's not fatal and pick you back up and keep moving forward. And so I think that's a really key characteristic of a really good sponsor. You know, I realize we're not in the sponsor ready topic yet, but one of the things I hear from both of you is willingness to accept feedback and actually seeking feedback versus the, yeah, I, I'm not the problem. Everybody else out there is the problem for me to want to sponsor someone, they've really got to be seeking input and taking action on the input I give them. Otherwise, it's just not worth the time Yeah, and the reputation risk. Absolutely. I mean, I always talk about time that you can't get back. <laughs> As a sponsor, I give people a task or something to do between this time and the next time that we speak. It could be a quarter, it could be a month, whatever the case is. 
basically I'm trying to give them the opportunity to arm me with the right talk track to be able to advocate for them when we're not in the room. So there are times when sometimes you have to catch and release, right? Like, hey, I want to, you know, help you out, but you're not ready, you know, uh, yet as we talked about. So I have to be able to let that person go because there are other people who are hungry, you know, for it and will do the things that you ask them to do. But again, I think that's when we start thinking about me being a sponsor or Keith being a sponsor, this is the table stakes in my mind is being able to, as you said, Maureen, take that feedback and act on it. Well, especially the point that you can advocate for people who are up and coming if the people you advocate for prove to be effective. Otherwise, you lose all credibility and you can't sponsor anyone else because the folks you're recommending them to think you have poor judgment. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point, Maureen. That's right. Then you need to recover and they need to recover. And you never want to make your sponsor have to recover from you being a goofball. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. It's a good point. Can you give an example of someone who had a good sponsor contrasted with someone who had an ineffective sponsor? Clearly, the two of you were the good sponsors and somebody else was ineffective. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I would just use myself like I like as I mentioned before, in terms of I didn't move fast in my career. So I would say I probably had a lack of sponsorship. I wasn't intentional about finding someone who could help me move my career. I thought it was great just to be friends, you know, with some of the people in some of the senior level roles. And if I just worked hard and kept my head down, it would happen. But we know that's not the case. So I would say the bad example, you know, was probably me thinking that if I worked hard, I would be seen, they would move me along, but I didn't, I didn't cultivate the right relationships. I wasn't intentional about even creating a bit of a board of directors and earning the right to be sponsored. So I would say that's probably a really good example, just using myself as earlier in my career, didn't move fast, probably didn't capitalize on relationships or even opportunities. You know, I think that would be my bad example. I know Keith can probably tell us uh, some better ones because, look, this is why he and I get along so well. It's like the yin and the yang. <laughs> you know, I'm the one Keith's like, eh, that's probably not how I would say it. So then I go to Keith and then he, he'll he tell me, like, this is probably a better way. So, Keith, maybe you could even share for us, maybe when we think about your own career, you know, how sponsorship really did work well for you. I can cite examples, especially towards the end of the year when I was tapping on the door to be CFO, right, in the succession plans for for CFO, and people who, at least to your face, said they were advocating for you and wished you the best. But then when they got in the room behind the closed doors with their colleagues, they had a very different message about you, right? And I did have that happen to me at the latter stages of my career when I was kind of knocking on the door of being CFO for a major company, right? What that sponsor didn't realize is that I had other people in the room who were also advocates for me. And so the message got back to me of how this person was talking about me in the room. And so that just created a lot of a lot of churn, if you will. And it really made me start to both have feeling certain ways about that sponsor, quote unquote sponsor, but also start uh, raise doubts for me about whether or not I wanted to stay with the company. You know, if I needed to start looking for other opportunities, all of those types of things, because I knew as long as that person was there, I really didn't have the opportunity to get probably the position that I was uh, deserved. And so, you know, that led to a lot of me starting to say, huh, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should be looking for other other things to do and things like that. And it was one of the reasons why I kind of pivoted to private equity at the end of the day, because I was like, "Eh." (laughs) you know, this is, this has kind of happened to me now and I'm not feeling very good about that. I want to build on what you said as well, Keith, this idea that people say one thing to your face and then behind your back, do something that is either untrustworthy or just suboptimal, well-intended, but not effective. I'm working with someone recently and she's getting some really, in my view, bad counsel, direct report to the CEO. They've had some dissonance. And one of the people counseling her is saying, you shouldn't have the conversation about rebuilding trust. Like at what point is that not a good idea to rebuild trust with your boss? It is also important for us as 
we have sponsors to really think about, are they acting in our best interest and are they wise? I think this person thinks they're giving good counsel, but it just doesn't seem like wise counsel. So for us as the ones receiving the advice from our board of directors, we really need to run it through the logic algorithm and see if if it matches our view of reality and our highest potential. Talking about that board of directors, I think there's a couple of things that kind of creep into play is we have a ton of millennials, you know, out there. They think differently, you know, than than some of the people who are in power, right? So as you're thinking about choosing the right sponsor, how does that person think? You know, are they going to tell you that you shouldn't be moving into a new role in the next two to three or four years? If they're telling you, hey, it took me seven to 10 years before I could get that role. And now you need to do the same thing. That's probably not in alignment with what's happening today. (laughs) you know, and I think sometimes we get not so good advice from a leader who might not be culturally aware. They may not be socially aware or astute. I think those things are pretty important. So again, that board of directors is important because again, these are people who you're expecting to go out and advocate for you. That person who may not believe, they may think that you're moving too fast or, you know, whatever the case is, they could probably say in a succession meeting, which we're in all of the time as leaders, uh, you know, I think that person might need a couple more experiences or they might need a little bit more time under their belt. So to Keith's point, now that person is kind of being counterproductive and there is a different narrative that's happening that's not the same as what your career development plan you know, suggests or the narrative that you've been trying to arm your board of directors or your, and even your sponsors you know, with. So again, there's a bit of a disconnect. And I think that we have to have intentionality and do a little research yeah, as you're trying to choose, you know, the right sponsor as well. So Ricky, you're using the term board of directors and sponsors differently. We haven't calibrated. What do you mean by board of directors? We're talking about if you are in, let's say HR and you want to get into engineering, you should probably have someone, a high-ranking individual or someone in the engineering function that you can go to to start cultivating a relationship with to bring you up to speed. If your next role probably allows for you to have to have P&L responsibilities and that's something that you need to learn, then you probably need to get with a general manager or a CFO to be able to shore up and those things. And those people end up being like, your board of directors. So you have to cultivate that relationship with them. Now they may end up becoming sponsors for you, mm-hmm. you know, but they don't initially be sponsored. Uh, they're not initially sponsors. Again, to have a sponsor, to get a sponsor, you have to almost earn the right to be able to do that. And they have to be able to see you in that vein. So again, I think that's where the board of directors, you know, piece comes in is about the intentionality with helping you achieve your career aspirations or maybe even fill gaps that you might have in reaching your aspirations. We've talked about being a sponsor takes time. And as a sponsor, I put my reputation on the line when I support an emerging leader. So it's important to be, and you've used this term sponsor ready. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be sponsor ready so that I am a good risk for the sponsor who's going to take up my cause? First off, the most critical thing is you have to be a trusted, reliable performer in any setting, right? So it's with your job and your performance on your job, when you're doing external engagements, representing the company, um, in social settings, you have to be on. People have to understand that they can, can trust you to deliver no matter what setting you're in, what the circumstances are, if it's high stress, low stress, casual, whatever the, the situation may be, that you can perform. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Keith. I think the other thing, uh, Maureen, is you have to be able to show ambition to do the work. You have to be able to say, hey, this is what I want to do. If it's you're in a a line level position, hey, I think I want to be a functional leader or, hey, I think I want to be a people leader. I want to be able to lead at scale. You have to have some ambition to be able to do the work. I, I don't think that when you are trying to get a sponsor, I don't think you go into in the meeting with the sponsor and say, 
Eh, I'm not really sure what I want to do. Uh, you know, I'm kind of open. <laughs> now the sponsor's going, I got to groom this person. I have to teach this person. I have to motivate this person. Like, so again, I think showing that ambition to do the work is probably another critical factor to uh, being that trusted, reliable performer in all settings that Keith spoke about as well. You know, I want to add a third one, and that's this sense of being or presence that shows up in values and ethics. It shows up in professional maturity. Is this person the caliber of person I would invite to my home, would introduce to my family, would hire them in my own company if I'm running a company? I realize in a large corporation, it's a different equation, but the thought process of would I invite this one mm -hmm. to meet my family, either my professional family or my personal family? And if the answer is no, you're not ready for prime time, you're not sponsor ready. It's a really great point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so Keith and I, we were uh, we, we were having a discussion a few weeks ago, and we were talking about some of the things that sponsors, you know, did for us in terms of inviting us into the room where they were having a discussion or putting us on high visibility or special projects. Maureen, they would not have done that. Like to your point, had they not, you know, trusted us. I mean, you're not getting invited to the business trips, the dinner party, or the sporting events. They're not going to do that for you if they don't feel comfortable or that you don't fit, you know, within your, their network is not going to be opened for you. That's right. That's right. And that's the, that's the real trick and conundrum for women and people of color, right? Because that, that last question there, that comfortability is really the question at the end of the day, would I invite Keith or Ricky into my house or Maureen into my house and introduce them to my family? When you have the C-suite that's, you know, again, 70 plus percent white male, those are the ones who are asking that question. And if the answer is no, <laughs> you know, for, for one of those reasons, then you're, you're not getting sponsored. And so that's kind of the, the conundrum that we have, the cycle that we have to break in all of this. And which is why we created the podcast and everything to begin with as well to try and help both sides understand you know how to get there and, and you know some of the biases that we need to address in order to kind of break through that early in my career you mentioned that being invited to the sporting events i was traveling i went to get my hair done in a different city and i came out with fuchsia hair <laughs> it was not a planned purple hair thing it was an accidental purple hair thing i'm sure you made it work though i'm sure you made it work maureen i'm sure you made it work my boss female boss who was a very much both a sponsor and a mentor just looked at me perplexed i went to the fedex office and the lady said if you work for me i would be sending you home <laughs> and so i went back to my boss and said what do i do you know, it's attached to my head. I can't get rid of it. I'm not shaving my head because that's not the look I want either. And she just looked at me and said, wear white. White will go with pink. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the other is the humor and grace that people mess up and they, they do it in visible ways unintentionally and being able to balance... I still recommend this person, but really, you got to stop using that hairdresser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. How we look matters. It does. And it's not about color or gender. It's do I look like the role I'm trying to fill? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We talk about executive presence like a lot with some of our executive coaching services. We're also on some of the podcasts and uh, Keith uh, always jokes with me. He's like, tell me about that time when you didn't think you were ready for prime time. Look, I was proud to say uh, I had my own little money and I was going to the oak tree and trying to get like earth tone colored suits and all of these things. One of my leaders, it was uh, Vince Woodard said to me, uh, where, where are you going to get your, uh, you know, your, your dress clothes? I'm like, oh, they were baggy pants. The shirt really didn't oversize. He's like, uh, you need to go invest in some Dockers, you know, and uh, this right here. And I'm like, why would I wear that? And he's like, that's what they're wearing. And I was like, the aha moment, you know, kind of happened there. Again, I was focused on all of the stuff that wasn't going to get me a sponsor, wasn't, was not going to give them confidence you know, and kind of taking me with them or inviting me into the room. So that was a learning experience. Now, I felt like I was doing the right thing and I was ready, but I absolutely wasn't ready. You know, I had around the clothing thing early in my career, so this will date me. <laughs> 
the era where we all wore Brooks Brothers suits, men and women alike, and we all kind of wore the same mm -hmm. three blues, grays, and browns, and bow ties. Somebody actually asked me if I was a burn victim because they'd never seen my throat. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. <laughs> And the sense of I had no individuality because of the uniform. And so this same boss with the pink hair episode basically said, you find ways to express your individuality that nobody else sees. You fill in the blanks what that might be, but it has to be <laughs> beneath the, the external covering. So it could be weird toenails if you don't wear open toe shoes or <laughs> any other thing. But the external should not look funky unless you're in a role where funky is valuable. That's right. That is very true. Very true. So you don't wear those baggy pants anymore? You're still in Dockers? <laughs> Actually, uh, since we've been living in this post-COVID, I have probably a little bit, a few more LBs and OZs here. I'm going to have to probably go back and uh, change up the wardrobe a little bit. Everything is fitting a little spandexy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Like Smedians. <laughs> I'm going to have to change some things up. That's the value of athleisure. <laughs> That's right. So what do you recommend for people to do? You've talked about executive coaching. You've talked about wardrobe. You've talked about your podcast. Tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast because you share brilliant information that I think is really useful to get people sponsor ready. I think the biggest thing is, is when you start thinking about your career and what you know now versus if you would have known it back then, we would have been dangerous, right? So what we try to do is we try to give people the information. And the reason we even call it secrets is it's because it's like C-suite secrets, like things. It's a bit of a, a comedy in the sense that we let people laugh at what we went through, but then we do provide them with, with the receipts in terms of the data that shows why it's important. But then we we leave them, you know, with some some secrets on how to do better, you know, and we talk about things from what is total compensation, how do you negotiate for total compensation, executive presence, like all of those things, how to be a better ally, how to deal with microaggressions. It's it's unfortunately the the, the gift of content never stops giving. <laughs> so we always have, you know, some good stuff to speak about. But again, I think one of the things as we're talking about being sponsor ready, we initially tell people you have to overachieve on performance. We didn't make the rules, but we're telling you what they are and we're telling you what's happening at the boardroom tables, right? So I think the first thing in terms of what we do with our uh, podcast is telling the truth, but we always lead with you have to overachieve, you know, on performance. I think that's the first thing. Yeah, because it doesn't matter how many dockers you have. If you do a poor job, no one wants you. No one will want to talk to you. That That's table stakes is that performance part of it. For Maureen, one, one thing that's always been important for me that I found help for me is I kind of focus on things that my boss's boss cares about or my company cares about because a lot of times your boss may not be your ally or a good mentor or a good sponsor for you because you're very close and you may be competing against each other at some point in time as well. So I tried to always make sure I did those skip level meetings and understood what my boss's boss's goals and objectors were and what were their motivations and what were they trying to achieve? Because if I could put points on the board for them, it's more likely that they're going to become a sponsor for me in the room, um, regardless of what my boss was telling me or advocating or not advocating for me at the end of the day. So Keith, I think it's a brilliant point for people whose organizations don't do skip level meetings. How do you invite that without, especially as you said, sometimes there is not 100% support from the boss. How do you do it in a way that isn't threatening to that very boss? When I go into a new role, that's one of the things I insist on right from the start. And I asked my boss, is it okay that I have a skip level meeting with your boss? You know, just to say hello, understand what they're trying to achieve for the organization. And so I'm able to cut through it right out of the gates, which I've found to be a good technique to kind of get out of the politics of it. So I'd, I would definitely suggest that. But if you haven't done that and that's not possible, maybe you find a peer of theirs who could do an introduction for you, that type of thing to kind of get around it if your boss in particular is nervous about um, you doing that. 
You know, one of the things I've heard you point to as we've talked during the interview is how many relationships you have in the peer and senior level roles that you find out a sponsor isn't sponsoring you. So can you speak a little bit to the importance of building that network of support, doing the job as table stakes, but too much heads down means I'm overlooked and I'm not also building the network that helps elevate me. Getting back to this example of doing something that your boss's boss cares about, right? When I got hired for one of my jobs, we were doing this um, continuous improvement was like the big thing, right? This is the beginning of the 2000s and you're doing lean manufacturing and, and workout and things like that, lean office, right? And so that became a big initiative for, for the company. And it just so happened the company that I came from had also been doing that. And so I took that step right out of the gates when I joined a new company to say, I'll help lead some of our lean office efforts in finance. By doing that, I automatically started to create this network of people. It allowed me to engage with people across functions and all of that, all those things to start to build that network of people who I would have never met in a million years if I didn't take that initiative to kind of step out there and lead an effort. And that kind of created a natural network for me. And as people started to see the results that were coming out of those initiatives, that created more opportunities for me. And that created more opportunities for those folks on the team. And it created that kind of natural network and cheerleading group, if you will, that as I moved and those people moved, it just kind of snowballed itself. So building that network is super, super important. And as you know, and Ricky calls it the board of directors, you can't just be involved with people in your function. You got to lead on something that the company cares about. Those are the ways that you break through. That's a great point, Keith. Another one that, that I would add is probably just as important. And, and this is coming from, you know, me not doing it earlier in my career. I think that to be sponsor ready, I think you really have to do some self work, some self introspection, right? Where you have to be able to understand and know what your secret powers are, know what you're trying to work on. You have to be able to, to develop your value proposition. You have to know what you bring to the table that might be different than others. But I think it's also important to understand what you think you might want to do, right? Because at that point, now you're being a bit intentional about developing a time frame. Hey, I would like to be able to do this in the next two to three years. My ultimate passion or dream is to lead people or to be a VP or whatever the case is, because when you put that out there, other people can say, yeah, I think they want to be here. And I think they start changing like your your retention risk or they take you from maybe value talent to maybe high potential or key talent. Like they start thinking about you differently and then they start thinking about different development programs that are offered within the organization. So I think all of that shows a bit of ambition and it helps like for you to be able to carry out the plan, you know, that you put in, in place, but it arms the sponsor with the talk track again, to be able to advocate for you when you're not in the room, but it also gives in terms of an accountability partner, every time you meet with that sponsor, they can talk to you about what you told me you wanted to be when you grew up and how well are we doing getting you to that maturity, mm -hmm. you know, level. So again, I think that's a, a, a really important place to be, but you have to start kind of within yourself to be able to answer those questions prior to getting asked those questions. Going back to, you know, my story at the beginning about my 10 year plan. I mean, at the end of the day, my, my sponsor actually ended up leaving the company within two years of us developing that plan, but I kept that plan. Then I was able to talk all the time about, here's the things I want to do over the next eight years. And that just showed, you know, a lot of ambition and drive and focus. And But pe people could then say, okay, if he wants to be, you know, lead a global team, you know, in five years or whatever the case may be, at least I know that now. And maybe I can build steps for him to be able to get there. And so that plan is critical. If you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, the chances of getting sponsored shrink along the way. All of our leadership programs start out with this idea of vision and values. What are your superpowers? 
And where do you want to be five years, 10 years down the road? Because to your point, if you don't know what to ask for, your sponsor is not going to know what to help you get. So it, it really is part of being sponsor ready is for me to have a clear vision of myself and have accurately assessed my own skills and aptitudes and be building toward that and have an accurate self-image if I'm 12 years old, I'm not going to be the CEO of a major company. <laughs> I need to build in the timeline to build the skills to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's do a final quick question before we wrap up and you share more information about how to get your podcasts and your blog. Can you share a success story of someone who was well-prepared and the impact that had on their careers? And it could be either one of you or someone you, you've seen that really stood out. Yeah, I'll share a story with you. When I joined Kodak, I came in to a global role that had traditionally been reserved for people who had been in the company for decades, right? And I was 31 years old. The, the guy I was replacing had been there 35 years. So again, I was another experiment. But when I came in, I started to talk to members of my team and just understand what my talent was and who was there. And there was one young man who, a few years younger than me, but again, he he showed ambition, right? He he told me right out of the gate, he had a vision for being a uh, CFO. He wanted to be a CFO for a corporation. He knew it was probably a 15, 20-year plan for him to get there, but he wanted to understand the steps that it would take. And, you know, and he looked at me as a role model, as someone who was just a few years ahead of him who had gotten into this global role. He's like, can we at least develop a plan so I can get to where you are? And then you know, we can build from there. And so we just did that, right? And so I, I took an interest in him and his career. And every time I got promoted, I brought him along. He was performing, overperforming, trusted, valued, all of those things where I could put my credibility on the line every single time. And I knew it was good because everybody else was always trying to poach him from my team. <laughs> but again, he stayed loyal because we had built a plan together over a course of time. After like seven or so years of following me and getting promoted along the way, it was kind of time for him to leave. And we didn't, we talked about that. And it was like, this may be like the point where it's time for you to get some different experience and, and move on to, to another company to get some different industry experience, all those types of things, right? Fast forward, I mean, he now is a CFO for a major corporation, mm. but it's all about really being intentional and setting that plan at the early stage, showing ambition, and then having someone to to open those doors and the opportunity for you. For me, that's kind of like a, an example of how sponsorship works and what it looks like in action. And I had the same thing happening for me along the way too, because there's a person, my boss in front of me was sponsoring me at the same time and I was sponsoring him. So it just became a, a long chain reaction. And if done right, you know, Keith, as you uh, speak to it, it really becomes part of your DNA. You don't have to do anything extraordinary to, to, to be a sponsor. Like you've done it, you know, multiple times you've seen it be done the right way. You have examples of when people weren't probably leaning in properly to be able to be ready to accept this blessing, you know, so to speak, because it really is, you know, a blessing to be able to get feedback, a blessing to be sponsored. So again, that story that you tell, and even the story that you tell about yourself, I think those are some great success stories. And we absolutely try to emulate those with our own behaviors, you know, as we continue to sponsor people and we teach, you know, leaders how to be good sponsors. Keith, in your story, there are a couple things that we haven't talked about, but I want to, to just pull out mm -hmm. one that being a good sponsorship creates a level of loyalty because I'm going to be loyal to people who value and support my objectives mm -hmm. and I'll support and value their objectives. And then the other is it's okay to leave. Yeah. Eventually we graduate from college. We leave our parents home. We also leave jobs and sponsors and with the right sponsor, that's what success looks like, not disloyalty. For people who have a brilliant sponsor, it's okay to say, "I it's time to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because a good sponsor, if I, if I know where you're trying to get to, then I'm still going to do the right thing for you, right? I mean, because now I'm invested in, in your plan. So, And that plan may not involve me anymore. It may not involve the company anymore. But at least I'm invested in you enough to give you the right advice to help you get to where you want to ultimately be. 
Thank you both. You're brilliant men and you emulate and live the very thing we're talking about, both being sponsor ready and being good sponsors. For our listeners, if you are in a role where you are ready to sponsor, I strongly encourage you to sponsor the people in your organization that you are willing to put your reputation on the line for, not just people who look like you, but people whose contribution you value. And when given the choice of someone who looks like you and someone who looks different, really strongly consider the value and importance of diversity. If you are earlier in your career and you are looking for that next promotion, I encourage you to build your network and include in it someone or multiple people who can sponsor you. So Ricky and Keith, you've talked about C Secrets. How would people find you and get access to this brilliant resource and to you? First and foremost, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and Hey, we could, we could, we could talk to you for hours, right? There's so much content to be able to speak about. But what I would tell people is if you are interested in hearing what Keith and I have to say, and and you want to hear more of it, by all means, you can check us out at uh, uh, secrets.com. That's C-R-E-T-S.com. And you can catch our podcast and our blogs there. You can also Check us out on LinkedIn, you know, and join our uh, secrets community. Or you can uh, just tune into any and all podcasts that you subscribe to. We're on all the uh, major platforms, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, what have you. You can uh, do that, too. In any event, just reach out to us individually if you like. But we never turn people down because we know how important it is to be able to get the right information so that you can you know, make the right livelihood decisions. So I think that's where we really want to play in that space and make sure that we're giving people the right courage to be able to advocate for themselves. Beautiful. Thank you. So Ricky Robinson, Keith Powell, and the URL is c-c-r-e-t-s.com. That's correct. That is it. Cool. And we will have a blog that is connected to this interview on LinkedIn and on Innovative Leadership Institute. So if you're listening on another platform, please go find the blog and read more about Ricky and Keith and the work they're doing. Thank you to our listeners for participating and for being highly effective leaders and emerging leaders because what you do changes the trajectory of our history. And at this point with massive change going on in the world, we need good leaders. Mm